Amen. Thanks, Avi. Thanks, Tim. How encouraging was that, church? Well, welcome. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It'll be on the screen, but I want to invite you to turn there with me. And we are going to start a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm really looking forward to that. But what I want to do first is I just want to read our text this morning, and then I'm going to give some some context and background to what we're going to be doing together today and as we work through this entire letter over the next weeks and months. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Let me read that. You can follow along with me. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord. In 1957, there's two engineers who created something that all of us are very familiar with today. In 1957, these engineers, and maybe you think engineers are going to create something like this new engine or this new structure for a building or something like that. Instead, they found that there is these two sheets of plastic and some air bubbles. And surprisingly enough, these two engineers believed, you know what we figured out? We found the next new fashion in home decor. How many engineers do you know make it big in the home decor business? Well, sadly, these two guys found that that didn't really take off. So I don't know how many of you have bubble wrap, which is what they made on your walls, but that wasn't something that took off in the 50s and 60s. But instead, three years later, A surprising development occurred for them as they continued to seek a way to utilize this thing they had created. And IBM came out with one of the first, like, computers that was considered, like, the Model T of computers. And guess what? What we now know today, all these years later, bubble wrap is really good for packaging things and protecting things. Now, the interesting thing was, is these two guys, what they sought out, set out to do ended up becoming, turning into something very, very unexpected. And as we've just read these first nine verses of the letter to the Corinthians from Paul, this is precisely what's happening at the beginning of this letter, that Paul is writing to a church that he planted, people he knew. So very much like what Tim was just sharing, someone like Tim or someone like Alan, who planted a church 
and knows something about them. And, hey, I started this thing, and this is my expectation for it. And now we get this letter that we start in these first nine verses. And you won't know of it right yet. But all of a sudden, three years later, we start to find out what was initially expected to go one way has actually turned out to be going some, th- some way very, very different. And so what I want us to do, and I want to just spend time this morning, is I want to set up a series in this letter to the Corinthians from Paul to these people in the the area of Corinth. And I want us to think of it in this way. The title of our series is The Broken Becomes Beautiful. And what I want us to do is I I want us to think about this because this letter is going to be a response to reports that Paul is getting That this church that he knows and these people that he's very familiar with have gone astray. They have have moved away from his original teaching when he planted that church years earlier. And so he's writing this letter to help work through things like disunity, sexual immorality, ways that people are handling their relationships with one another, ways they're handling things inside of the church like communion and the way they worship and things like that, lawsuits amongst believers. And Paul is writing all of these things. And the reason why I want us to look at this title is that I think that it'll help us really summarize the whole letter together as we go through this over the next weeks, months, and beyond. Is that the letter of 1 Corinthians is Paul's way of writing to a group of people to remind them of who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. And see this artwork behind us that Mel did for us? This really helps capture what I believe the good work that God does that we're gonna explore more today together is is this artwork is this this piece of of cup that's put together. And this artwork called Kinsunji is this reality of putting these broken pieces back together and very intentionally wanting to show all of the cracks in that and the beauty upon which what happens when these broken, disparate pieces get put back together, you see something really beautiful. And I believe that's something really helpful for us as we think about understanding this letter that Paul has written. Listen to what one scholar says about this letter as we begin our time. Hans Konzelman says, What we have here is to do with people, the Corinthians, who have recently become Christians. And we're going to set this up in a moment. They have recently become Christians. What were their ideas that they brought with them into this new church, into this new community? Many of their faults can be traced back to their uncritical acceptance of the attitudes, values, and behaviors of the society in which they lived. See, they glorified wisdom. We'll talk about that more. The eating of food sacrificed to idols. We're going to get into that as we move through this letter. The denial of the literal bodily resurrection of Christ himself and the light assessment of their view of sexual immorality, drunkenness, greed, and vexatious litigation. See, these were all things common in the culture of Corinth. And I want to share that with you because I think that that scholar words actually really apply to us today as well. And so what I want us to do as we spend time over viewing, studying this letter together is for us to think about that in our own context. So what we're going to do today is I want to set the table for us. We're going to study these first few verses, but what I want us to do is really set the table to prepare us to be able to kind of 
feast off of this letter together. And as we do that, for us to understand the culture of Corinthians and who Paul is, we then can use that as a way for us to consider what's the culture upon which we, as a church of God here, find ourselves in? What are the ways that critique of the scholar of the church of Corinth apply to you and me today? What are the things that we have just accepted from our culture that we live in and we're not even fully aware of it and how it has affected the way we live as followers of Jesus. And I just want to be up front with you. This is going to be a really challenging letter to go through. I'm really thankful for it, but I think there's going to be a lot of different things in this letter that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can guarantee you that if you go home and you read this letter, which I would encourage you to do, please do that. Read the entirety of the letter, and I can almost guarantee you that you will be offended, challenged, confused, or something like that at times. Honestly, read, read the entirety of the first and second letters to the Corinthians. And Paul will do one of those things, I'm pretty sure. And you know what? That's okay. Because we also know Paul himself says that the word of God is what? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for us to be trained in the way of Jesus together. So when we come across things that might be offensive to us or difficult or challenging, we want to just slow down and know that that's what God is doing. He's doing a work in each of us. And we want to continue to con say and continue to, to, to create a culture in this very church with our community groups. Is that why we go through the sermons together or scripture together? And then we share what's going on in our lives because as we come across things like we will in this, the word of God, there will be things that are going to be difficult. There are going to be things that are challenges. There are going to be things that we read and we're going to go, I don't know what to do with that. And in that context, what we believe the church is supposed to be is a space where we can grow and encourage one another and help one another wrestle together with applying the word of God to our lives, even in those places that may have come across offensive, difficult, or really challenging. And that is the grace of God to us to be able to do that together. So what I want to do to set the table this morning for us as we move forward is I really want to hit two things. I want to help us to understand one thing. I'm just going to kind of spend some time teaching a little bit and giving you some information. But the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about who is Paul? Who is the person that is writing this letter? I think it's really important for us to understand. And again, Tim just came up here, and I used this as an example a minute ago too. It's like this would be like understanding who Paul is would be like understanding Tim and his context of planting a church and creating it, or Alan planting Grace Hill, and then if they went off and started to plant other churches somewhere else, they're very well known by this church they're writing to, and they know the, the, that person as well. And so I want us to understand the relational connection between the sender and receiver of this letter. So the first thing is that we need to know about Paul is that he was Saul of Tarsus. Now, this is important simply because, and as we work through the letter, we're going to go through this, that Saul was a Jew, and Saul was a Roman citizen. So Tarsus 
was kind of this like hub of the Hellenistic culture. So you think of it like a college town, all right? That's where Paul grew up. That's where his family was from. And so he is this Roman citizen, but he is a devout Jew, and he's born and lives in this spot of a, of a deep, um, uh, deeply uh, educated area, and he learns the ways of the Jewish faith there. The next thing we need to know about Paul, Saul, is that he was educated under the famous rabbi Gamaliel. And what this means is, is this is this really famous teacher, this famous rabbi. And so this rabbi was well known throughout all of uh, Jerusalem and all over. And Paul gets taught by this very famous rabbi. And he gets taught in a very strict form of Pharisaism. Now, if you understand this, the New Testament, you're going to know that Jesus gets into scuffles a lot with these Pharisees. These were the pastors of their time. These were the, the leaders of the, the, the religious, um, uh, the, the religi- these were the religious leaders of the time. And so Paul is trained under one of the most famous, and Paul becomes one of those himself, all right? Uh, and the other thing we need to know about Paul is that he formerly was a persecutor of Christians. And this is really important in understanding Paul's story and even why he's writing this letter. In Acts chapter 7, we're going to read, listen to this. This is, this is Saul, the writer of this letter to the Corinthians. Listen to what we read in Acts. And this is referring to Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's our writer. And they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And we had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. This is the writer of the letter we're going to spend time studying Another thing we need to know, though, is that Paul, Saul was converted miraculously. Look at Acts 9, 1 through 6, and read along with me, if you will. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And if you fast forward just a few verses forward, and the that same chapter, we read this, understanding Paul's miraculous conversion here. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Ananias, he said, 
Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's Paul, all right? Now, here I want to continue to set the table. Who are the Corinthians? All right, so the Corinthians, these are these people. They're referred to as wealthy Corinth. So there's going to be a map on the screen. And what I want to show you is this. It's a really important um, city. And if you see when the map gets uh, up there, you will see that Corinth was very close to Athens. Maybe we don't have that. Uh, but it's very close to Athens. And Corinth becomes this really kind of this port city in the ancient eastern time. And what is happening in Corinth is it's, it's growing into this massive city with full of, of, of people coming in and out. Commerce is coming through this city. There's tons of people from all over the world coming into the city to do trade, to start new companies, lots of entrepreneurs and things like that. And you'll see that most all commerce had to go through Athens because it had this isthmus, and it was the easiest way versus a lot of uh, uh, seafaring stuff that was really dangerous. So, so much commerce and, and, and things needed to go through this spot. And so this is this burgeoning city becoming one of the most wealthy cities in all of that area. And this is who Paul has come to be with, all right? So Corinth, by any measure, is one of the great cities, and it's in this, it's, it's Roman occupied by that time. And so it is uh, really, it's a strategic position, and it's got manufacturing, a big tourist attraction, and it was a center for religious pilgrimage as well. So that's a little bit about this place that we're reading this letter from. The other thing that we need to know about the culture of this place is that it's steeped in competitiveness, self-achievement, and self-promotion. It doesn't sound that different than the culture upon which we live in, does it? Another thing that's important for us to understand is the religious context. We said this is a religious pilgrimage that would come here. Pluralism, this idea that there's many, many gods, many, many religions and faith, this was the norm for the city of Corinth in their time. And so every deity had a temple. In fact, archaeologists have found these ruins of all these human, like statues of these human organs. And it was found to be a place in this temple where there was a god that was apparently one that you would go to to heal per certain parts of your body. And so there's just tons of these different gods and deities that are worshipped all over Corinth. And so this is um, just a part and parcel of life in the city of Corinth. And all of this, just this context of understanding these players in this letter, leads us to Paul coming probably 16 to 20 years after he has been converted on the road to Damascus. So Paul, his whole story, all that's happened to him, he's had many, many years now of maturing in the Lord and ministering and learning and things like that. And so here is where we find Paul meeting for the first time these people, this new church that he's going to form in Corinth. Read with me in Acts 18, where we see an awesome account of this very fact. Acts 18, 1 through 11 says this. After this, Paul left Athens. And remember, Athens is a little bit northeast of Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently home from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed and worked with them, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul is hanging out with this couple, and they start to do work together in this city of Corinth. And they were tent makers by trade. And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right? So Paul's doing this work, and he goes in, and he starts preaching to the Jews in the synagogue, because that's what he would be familiar with, all right? When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And here's where the beginning of the church in Corinth starts. And he left there and went to the house of the man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. And I just want to say, I think we just get a little bit of who Paul is. He gets kicked out of the synagogue, and he goes, I'm going to go start preaching to these Gentiles. But guess where, guess where he, like, he leaves the synagogue? You know how far away he goes to start something new? Next door. <laughs> I just think that's really actually hilarious. And he's just like, fine, you don't want to do it? I'm going to start something right here. And they're like right over there. And it's just like kind of a little bit of like Paul's like personality of like, I'll show you. All right? So I think that's awesome. <laughs> and so um, he says, uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. We'll see that later on. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. How awesome is this? Tim, hearing you share a little bit about this today, how cool is it? The, the, the gospel of Christ is, is growing a people in a place. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city, who are my people. And he, Paul, stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is one of the longest times Paul stays put. So we're getting this real unique opportunity to see a relationship between Paul and these new believers in a city that is burgeoning with trade and lots of power and status and the culture is steeped in all these different things. And Paul is bringing the good news of the gospel. First, he starts trying to go to the Jews because that's what he was familiar with in the synagogues. He kind of gets kicked out of that. And then now he just starts preaching and the Lord comes to him and the Lord encourages Paul and says, to Paul, and I want us to not miss this. I have many in this, pe- in this city that are my people. What an encouragement that must have been for Paul. How encouraging that must have been to know that God's faithfulness would be manifest through the saving of many souls in Corinth. All right, so I just wanted to set the table for us for a little bit. This whole letter is going to be between Paul and these people, and they know each other very well. And so I want to go back to our text for this morning as we kind of spend the the rest, the remainder of our time together. And I just want us to see two points this morning from those first nine verses. And this introduction, I think sometimes when we read the scriptures, it's easy to look at the beginning of some of these letters and just kind of go, okay, let's get to the real stuff. But I want us to slow down and be really intentional and see the beauty of, and the significance of some of the things that we're supposed to see in Paul's very beginning of his letter to these people that he loves. 
Now, one thing I didn't get a chance to say on the map, where Paul is writing this letter, he's probably two or three years removed from starting this church. He's hearing all these reports that I mentioned. He is in Ephesus, which is all the way across the water for him in Turkey. And so he's writing this letter in response to some other things. So here's an interesting tidbit. 1 Corinthians is not the first letter. We just don't have access to this. There was a report that came from a letter from them, and now now he's responding to them, okay? And so here's the thing that this introduction is supposed to, um, I think, communicate to us that Paul wants us to see this morning. Number one, that God has done a beautiful work. God has done a beautiful work. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Verse two is stunning. We kind of know a little bit of the lay of the land now, right? There's a lot more for us to understand culturally about what's going on in Corinth. But Corinth, the people of Corinth, these new believers, there's some jacked up things going on in this church. It's what Paul's writing them to, to correct a lot of things as we move forward. There's some incredibly disgraceful things that aren't even being done in the pagan culture that are being done in the church. There's people getting drunk on communion wine. Communion wine, right? If we were to come down and take the two, there'd be people, right? These are reports he's getting. He's like, what? There's disorderly work uh, stuff going on in their relationships between believers in the church. They're suing each other. There's just some things that have really gone off the rails, the unexpected things that I think Paul's like, whoa, whoa, that's not what I taught you. There's disagreements on very important teachings that Paul has laid. All right, all this stuff is happening. And Paul says in verse two, to the church of God in Corinth. What a beautiful reminder of God's grace in spite of, of incredible difficulties, great sins that are happening amongst the people of God, people that are bearing the name of God. And Paul writes to them and says, to the church of God in Corinth. Now, I'm a dad, and I have children, and I love them deeply. And when they screw some things up in our house, or things get broken, or whatever that is, if I were to write them a letter, I don't know if the first thing I would do is like, children whom I dearly love. Oftentimes, I move into my frustration right away and just say, I'm really frustrated. What on earth, you guys? But not so with Paul, which is why it's important for you and me today to slow down and recognize the beauty of what he is saying. The very first thing Paul is wanting to do in regards to dealing with all of the junk that's going to come is to say, you are God's people. God identifies with you, you sinners. And I'm curious how that strikes us today. I don't know if you feel familiar, similar to me in some of those interactions when I see things that aren't going the way I want them to go in my own family and things like that. But Paul is very intentional to say, I want you to know, Corinth, that God identifies with you. You are his people. For all the dysfunction that Paul is going to address, it's stunning that his intention is to remind them that God's not severing ties with them because of their behavior. And he's not throwing his hands up in disgust. And neither is Paul. 
right? I imagine someone like Tim or Alan, the love that they have for their churches that they were a part of helping to start, right? When they see those things, yes, they might be frustrated, but they have a deep love. And so Paul is communicating, God's not through with you. God's not disgusted with you. And neither am I through the church of God at Corinth. What Paul is showing us is that God's love for Corinthians and God's love for us has nothing to do with their character. Though that is one of the things that he is going to help say, this needs to change about your character. God does not love us based on our character. That is not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that he loves us. He loves us, not because we were lovable, what grace. What does this look like for us as a church family? I mean, Paul's giving thanks for this church. That's so messed up. What does it look like for us as Grace Hill to think about? What does it look like for us to be able to grow in gratitude, to cultivate gratitude for this church, what God, the, the, the church of God in Herndon, the church of God at Grace Hill? What does it look like the same way that Paul writes that to say, hey, what does it mean to grow gratitude for the things that God is doing amongst us in spite of ourselves at times? What does that look like? How, how, does that, how does that start to shape things about how we interact with one another inside the church and outside the church while still being aware of the problems that exist inside of the church of Corinth and still aware for us of the problems that we find here at Grace Hill and any other church that you are a part of? Paul's heart is attuned to the reality that sin still exists in the church of Corinth and in his life, and that's true of us but like Paul, he has a heart of grace and gratitude. And would that start to grow and abound rather than bitterness and disgust when we face problems with each other in the church? These first few verses show a stunning reality of what God has done and what God believes about his people. Paul is saying your identity is that you are God's. In fact, we read in that First, he uses the word sanctified. That word sanctified literally means what was once incompatible with holiness has been eliminated. These people who God loves has been loved by God and he has done the work to sanctify them even in spite of what they are doing now today. What he has done is he said, your identity is rooted in me. I have set you apart to be my people. These broken people are part of God's beautiful plan for redemption. And the second thing I want us to see in this introduction is that, um, that they are sanctified. Paul wants them to be reminded from the outset that because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, and this cannot be overstated enough, that this is crucial to Paul's argument all throughout this letter as he's seeking to help change their behaviors by them understanding who they are in Christ. He is trying to tell them over and over again, you are not Corinthians anymore. You were Corinthians but then God called you apart. He sanctified you. You read in verse 9, he says, God who called you has sanctified you. He has made you holy. He has set you apart. You are no longer Corinthians, though you still live in Corinth. And here's what's crazy. Paul has such a focus on Christ. In these first nine verses, he mentions Jesus' name nine times. 
It's a lot of speaking Jesus' name just in the introduction to, to try and prove this point. The hinge on everything he's doing centers around who Jesus is. The idea that the gospel is the thing that changes. And because of what God has done, because God has sanctified Corinth, because God has sanctified us here as followers of Jesus, he says, now, now you need to live like that. I think this is really challenging. As I was thinking about this, it was like, we're not primarily Americans. And that's not a popular thing to say. We're not. We are not, our primary identity is not American citizens, though we are. And I'm not making a statement against, I love the country we live in. We are not primarily Northern Virginians, but we live here. What this is saying to you and me as we study this and, and take this in is that we are God's people here, Grace Hill, set apart. Yes, we live in America. Yes, we live in Northern Virginia, but God has called us. He is holy to us. He has sanctified us. He has called us out and sanctified us. So we are no longer primarily identified by where we live and the countries we live in. We are God's, and that is stunning. And it is primary for us to understand everything Paul is going to say as he moves forward. What God has done is beautiful. He's saving people and calling them into his kingdom. And this is what Paul is aiming at in this very beginning. Everything is about living from this new identity of being found in Christ. Just like the Corinthian believers are being called to live from their new identity in the church, they're supposed to live their identity in the church and in Corinth now, too. And that's the same thing for us. We are to live from our new identity in this church, Grace Hill, in this family, and all throughout Northern Virginia and all across the country and the world, as we heard even from our brother, the things that God's doing and calling in, in, in England as well. We are sanctified, so we should be sanctified in our lives. And just like Corinth is being shaped by living for Christ, we are like them called to see money differently, sex differently, which he's gonna talk about all through this life, power differently, wisdom differently, work differently, and love, the definition of love and how that works out. We're supposed to see that all in a very new and different way as we follow Jesus since we've been called out by God himself. Everything, again, in this letter is about becoming who we are, the broken becoming beautiful, and the last thing I want us to see from this text this morning is that, number one, the work that God is doing is beautiful. And number two, and there's difficult work ahead. There's difficult work ahead. 1 Corinthians 8 through 9, the last two verses of our text this morning says this. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And although they were the Christian church in Corinth, I love what this, this one scholar says. He says that although they were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was still in them. And it was emerging in them in a number of attitudes and behaviors that required radical surgery without killing the patient. This is what 1 Corinthians attempts to do. This is beautiful work. 
but it's difficult work. That's ahead for the Corinthians as we're going to study that together. And it's the same thing for us, the beautiful and yet difficult work ahead for us to follow and trust Jesus and to live as his people. God didn't take us out of the world, but he saved us from the world. That's the tension that we face over and over again living in this world. Verse 8 says, Jesus will sustain us in the midst of the difficult work that is ahead for the Corinthians and for us as well. Paul reminds them, Jesus himself is sustaining you. The word literally means, the word sustain in the Greek, literally means to confirm, to establish, to render unwavering. It's like Paul saying, Jesus is the firm foundation underneath you. He will hold you no matter what comes. Paul is rooting the work ahead, even the difficult work ahead, in the rock-solid reality that Jesus will never let his people go. Jesus will never lose one of those that are his. Jesus will bring every single one of us who are his children home safely with him one day. Jesus will do that. He's laying that firm foundation. Jesus will sustain as sure as the floor beneath my feet, such is the work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross in his resurrection, as sure as that will be there for us to bring us home and accomplish all that God wants to accomplish. And he says this, listen, guiltless in the day of the Lord. When Jesus comes back, we will be declared guiltless because of what Jesus has done. Jesus will declare us guiltless. And it's from this incredible encouragement that God has saved and will keep us. And Paul, from this place, Paul's calling the church of Corinth to be transformed, to live in, spite, in, in light of this new identity. And this will be the work of being formed into this new life in Christ that will take for us some of the things that we say over and over again. We'll keep saying this. Okay, so here's what it is for us. It's the gospel, it's safety, and it's time. Three years. And Paul hears these reports. And do you think Corinth changed overnight? No, they did not. There's another letter after this. There was some reconciliation, but there were still some really hard things that happened. Listen, the work that God's doing in us takes patience from God and from one another. It's the gospel. It's the truth of who God is and what he's done for us. That is what saves us. And to grow into that takes safety and time. And that's what Paul's writing to and showing for showing us as well as we work through this together. Some people think Paul comes off really angry, like he's this angry dude just throwing out commands. As if you read this letter, you might maybe feel the same way at times. Don't do this. I told you earlier, right? Like, don't do that. I already told you how to do this. And 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 yet, yet what Paul's doing here is his readers are going to have a hard time reading this letter because of the culture they're in, and so are we because we live in a, in a, in a post, 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 post-modern society and hyper-individualistic culture. And so it's going to be really easy to be offended by some of the things just like they would have been in Corinth. But we'll talk about this over and over as we move through this letter. Everything for Paul comes back to and is centered on Jesus. Everything has changed because of what Jesus has done. And remember Paul's own story. We talk about story a lot here. Remember what God did to Paul to radically change his life. You know what time has taken place for Paul between now and then? 
It's the same as true for us. Time to grow and learn and struggle and mature. It just takes time. But Paul was radically changed by encountering Jesus. His life turned upside down, and he knows that that's the same for us. Our life gets turned upside down. We have a new way of living and orienting our lives. And so, Grace Hill, this is one of the last things I just want to kind of close with as we think about this, that God has done a beautiful work and that there's, and that there's difficult work ahead. Is that Corinth was a messy church, and I'm thankful that our scriptures have canonized this and has shown us this messy church. But you know the reality is? is we're a messy church too. We're a messy church too. And God's really kind to us as we see in his word to us. See, we're a young church. And if you think we have a few problems in our own church, I'll double those. I say this not to alarm you. I say this because it's true. And it's true of all God's people everywhere. There is no church that isn't messy. And one of the questions I just want us to do as we just work through this together, even this week in your community groups, as you work through sermon, go through your sermon questions. Tell your leaders, hey, I wanna, I wanna work through this together. I wanna talk about this stuff and then share the things about your life that maybe apply to this. But, but what does it look like for us, a young and church that's growing by God's grace, what does it look like for us to reshape the entirety of our lives to follow this new way, following Jesus? You think that's gonna be clean all the time? It's not if you've been with us for any amount of time, you already know that's not the case. Our view of money, our view of sex, our view of relationships with one another, our view of work, our view of the, of the, of the, of the way church should run on a given Sunday throughout, all of that stuff, right? All of that stuff, our view of the giftings that are within the church, and we're gonna hit all of these things through this letter. It's inevitably going to come across in some places of difficulty and can have some conflict at times. Friends, this is messy work, and it's difficult work, but we, like God does through Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, need to deal patiently and graciously with one another while constantly pointing one another back to who we are in Christ. This means our problem, no matter what it is in our own church, is really due to not letting the gospel fully reshape and transform our minds and our hearts. And that's where God's at work through his spirit and through one another together, helping us to be more and more conformed into God's image. I want to close our time the way Paul closes his greeting in verse 3. See, verse 3 aren't throwaway words. Verse 3 isn't just Christianese filler. Grace Hill, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
and peace to us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Think about the reality of God's grace that he has given himself to us, to you and me. That Jesus has accomplished everything that we couldn't do in his life, death, and resurrection. Grace and peace to us this morning because of the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Grace and peace to us. It doesn't say strife and struggle. It says grace and peace in the midst of those struggles, though, friends. God's grace will continue to change us as we study this letter, as we work to apply all that God has commanded to us. God's at work continuing to shape us through his grace and his peace. And so let his beautiful work continue in us. Let's not be surprised at the difficult work as it comes and hits us in different ways, shapes and forms. But let's let the gospel, let's long for the gospel to continue to reshape all of our lives, not just parts of it, not just the things we like, but the entirety of our lives be shaped because we have been sanctified. So we must live now as sanctified, called out people from God. God is faithful to constantly be making what is broken become beautiful. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the difficulties that we see pronounced explicitly within this young, messy church in Corinth, God. And Father, I just thank you, and I I ask for your grace ahead as we study this letter together, Lord, and the difficult places we come, Lord. I pray that we would, instead of being offended by things, Lord, when we sense or feel offense or challenge or struggle, Lord, that we would lean in and know that your grace and peace has been lavishly washed over us over and over again. And so, God, would you help each of us to remind one another what Christ has already done for us. And so, God, in those spaces, Lord, would you let new life, be re- our lives be reshaped into new lives following you to be sanctified, God. So would you help us, God? Would you help us be a church that loves to sit under your word, that loves to take your word and to wrestle with it, and then the Lord that loves to help one another imperfectly try and co- obey all that you have commanded, God. And Father, as we do that, Lord, would you draw many more people into your kingdom, Father? Lord, we think about that. Who are the people that you have set apart, called out in Herndon and all over Northern Virginia? Father, that as we share the gospel, as we live the gospel in the church, and we do it outside in the places you've called us to, God, that many more might come into your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name.